Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. As many of you know, I have been a filmmaker and storyteller now for better part of my life over 25 years and I've always found a lot of spirituality in story and how it really helps us here and how it helps us walk the path that we're all on and today's guest is author Alan Hunter who wrote a book called Stories We Need to Know Reading Your Life's Path in Literature and Alan and I discuss uh, the hero's journey his six archetypes that will help you figure out what stage of life you're on and so on. So let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Alan Hunter. How are you doing, Alan? Very well. Nice to be here. Thank you thank- for inviting me. Yo, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, you know, you've written many books, but the one I wanted to really focus on today is your book called Stories We Need to Know, Reading Your Life's Path in Literature, and um, which marries the two sides of me very well, the artistic side of being a filmmaker and a writer, but also the spiritual seeker. Uh, and and I think that's one of the reasons why I want to focus on that book, because it's like it balances, my, personally, it just balances me very well. And yeah. I feel that stories, uh, the reason why stories have been around since the beginning of time is because it helps us figure this whole thing out. I mean, without story, without uh, these archetypes, which we will get into in a minute, uh, I don't know if we would be able to survive as a species. I mean, stories have been around. I mean, well, honestly, if you want to go really, really back, the story of like, hey, guys, don't go down to the river because there's a tiger there and he's going to eat you. That's a story. Yeah. Um, and if you don't, if you don't understand that, you could go down to the river and get eaten. So. <laughs> So stories have a really powerful, uh, powerful effect on us as a, as a species. But um, I wanted to ask you, why did you decide to to kind of dive into this topic uh, in your book? Uh, well, I didn't so much uh, decide to do it as it came up behind me and whacked me on the side of the head <laughs> <clears throat> and wouldn't let me do anything else until I'd explored it. So uh, you know, I didn't. It wasn't. Uh, so much me choosing as it choosing me, which I think actually most of my books have come that way. They've come along and said, write me. And I said, no, I want to do something else. <laughs> you, were, you were refusing the call. Absolutely. Every time. <laughs> I know how hard it is to write a book. But, you know, in the end, they wore me down. <clears throat> so, um, you know, the, the, the whole idea is um, exactly in tune with what you've just been saying. Now, some people don't believe we're on a life journey at all. Hmm. Some people think we just take up space and then we die. So those are probably the people who won't be open to the idea that there is a life journey, that we are proceeding from somewhere to somewhere else, and something is going to happen to us along the way. We're not just going to get older and heavier. <clears throat> We're going to be <laughs> to learn something. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Of course, <laughs> no, of course. Nothing personal, man. Nothing, nothing at all. Trust me. I can <laughs> listen. COVID was tough on all of us. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> <good Lord. laughs> Still is. Still. 
hasn't gone yet. Yes. So the um, so I spent most of my um, most of my life actually, even before I became an academic, uh, reading books because I reckon that books, stories, as you so beautifully put it in your example, stories are a way of asking us to think about the world. And so I began to think, okay, stories survive because they tell the readers something over time. And if a story doesn't feel relevant anymore, it gets lost. Nobody reads it. It's gone. Mm -hmm. So here we have all these stories floating around that uh, I would tell my students to read and they'd say, oh, it's so old. Oh, it can't possibly have anything to do with me. I'd say, okay, wait, it may have something to do with you. And here is the, 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 the big point. And that is, if you look at Western literature, which is what I know, I don't really know Eastern literature as well. If you look at the whole of Western literature for the last 3,000 years, it will become obvious, apparent, that there are journeys aplenty, that in each case the main character or main characters are invited to take a journey. There is the call, the Joseph Campbell-like call. And they can refuse, but mostly if the story goes anywhere, it's because they set off on this journey. Fine. But if one looks a little closer, one sees that in every case, the characters go through six very specific stages of learning. Life stages, I call them. I also call them archetypes because that seemed like a, a good way to look at them. They are mileposts of growth. And what became even more alarming to me as I read is that uh, for 3,000 years, all of these six mileposts have been the same, in the same order, talking about the same thing, and they can't be skipped. And so I said to myself, ah, this looks like it may be a deep structure of the psyche. This is the way we shape reality. Because, you know, to us today, there are stories everywhere. You turn on the TV, there's a news story, there's a, there's a story that is your, your long-running favorite show. There, there are stories everywhere. If we go back about three or maybe 4,000 years pre-Homer, stories were very specific. They were certainly teaching tales, don't do this, do do that, but they were also because they were teaching something, they were religious tales. So the people who are reciting them are saying, this is something essential about the world. And here is the story that we put it into. Now, I think we've tended to lose sight of that in our day. Um, probably from about the year 1500 onwards, stories became entertainment rather than something uh, that was spiritually meaningful. Mm-hmm. And before that time, things were pretty tough as well because, of course, religion came along and there were religious stories that were designed to supplant these older, older tales that people had been listening to and saying, yes, that's good, let's remember it. They'd been listening to it for, you know, 2,000 years mm -hmm. before Christianity hit and supplanted just about everything. So what are these six stages? Well, they're remarkably coherent. Uh, they echo through all of major literature in the Western canon, as I say, and they are as follows. Um, so there's the first stage, which is birth or 
the innocent. So at the age, one, you know, the very young age, one is innocent. You know, you can take candy from a baby, that's what they say. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can, because the baby just, oh, you candy, it's fine. So one is innocent. But what everybody knows who's been around a baby for more than about five minutes is that babies have two really, really powerful abilities. <laughs> and that doesn't mean, you know, pooping and uh, eating. <laughs> two powerful abilities. And one is to love. The baby doesn't love mother and mother doesn't love the baby. It's not going to be a survival situation. So there's love and there's trust. The baby has to trust that he, she is not going to be dropped, not going to be abandoned. And you think, well, that's not very good because it's a baby. You know, babies do. And yet, as I work with my private uh, counseling clients, I say, if you haven't got love, and you haven't got trust, and you don't know how to do that, you're not going to have much luck in mature relationships during the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. So the first lesson, as it were, that these stories put towards us is, okay, we have to learn how to love and trust or we're dead meat. Literally, you know, we're dead meat. Um, So that's the first archetype. But, of course, being a baby doesn't last too long. Because after a while, you know, I have grandkids, so I know all about the terrible twos. And mm, the, and the uh, F and threes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and around that age, child begins to say, um, all's not perfect. You know, I'm not just going to eat what's in front of me. I want this. I want that. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And this is a stage that, of course, carries on throughout the rest of life. Uh, But I call that stage, to begin with, I call it the discontented innocent who then becomes the orphan. Feels like an orphan. And actually, which of us hasn't felt like we don't belong? Hmm. We've all felt we don't belong. And it's a, it's a feeling we have to get past. Otherwise, you know, we, we wind up not belonging. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, when this happens, imagine the, imagine the hero of a story, the hero of a detective story. Let's say a detective story. Wonderful genre, millions of them out there. To begin with, the detective doesn't know anything. He's innocent. He doesn't know what the crime is. He doesn't know who the victims or the perpetrators are likely to be. And then the crime happens. All is not well. Ah, all right. Suddenly suspicion. Who can I trust? There's that innocent again. And asking of questions is what happens. The orphan is the one who looks around and says, life seems pretty, uh, pretty perilous. Uh, I think I'd better find somebody to glom onto. And that's what happens in the detective story. You have the detective and the detective sidekick and the little the team, and they get together. In real life, your first day of school. Friends. Yes. Friends. If I don't make friends, I'm, I'm dead. Dead meat. Uh, first day I've got first... First day of college, first day of a new job. You look around and say, okay, who do I align myself with? 
That's something that that's something that's so primal. Primal. It's absolutely. it's so primal when you you're absolutely right when you walk into a new uh into a new setting like a job or a classroom. Yeah, you're there to do the job or learn or whatever it is. But sooner or later, in the back of your head, subconsciously, you're looking and like, who can I befriend? Who can I align myself with? What group do I need to be with? It's kind of like, you know, when you walk into prison, you know, you're going to, you know, if if you're in prison, not that I know anything about this, but if you are in prison, if you don't align yourself with a group, you are, if you're alone, if you're, if you're uh, an orphan, if you will, um, mm-hmm. you will get destroyed because then you have all the groups hitting you. So the strength is in the group. And that is as primal as we get with humanity. <laughs> That's the only reason we survive. Because yes. by, by ourselves, we can't, we can't really fight a tiger. Right. By ourselves, generally speaking, by ourselves, we can't really <laughs> fight a predator or an elephant or a giant. We're not physically endowed that way. The only thing we have is our minds, which is great. But at a certain point, our our survival uh, becomes more apparent once you have two, three, four, five. The family unit, the the, the town, the village, all of these things. Yeah. You become much. Your survival uh, percentage goes up. So it's really it's really, inter- really interesting. Yeah. yeah, very much so. So this is absolutely right, and I know also from working in prisons how how essential this is. Uh, but there's a downside, isn't there? And that is, if you agree to join a group, mm-hmm. you have to join according to the group's rules. And maybe some of the people in the group are not people who really like that much. <laughs> but you have to bite your tongue and, okay, we're all here together, guys, guys and gals or whatever. We're all here together, and this is how we survive. And, you know, a lot of people go through life doing that, and they never get any further. Mm. Nothing wrong with that. Because somebody who knows how to join and nurture others will be a wonderful person to Mm. help others. By the same token, if it tips over into anger, you get gangs. Right. And gangs are not something that are going to go away anytime soon. And desperately vicious people getting together just to pursue their agenda. And mm-hmm. they, they have their gang markings and their gang tattoos and all the rest of it. So this, is, uh, this can be the bad side of things. Mm-hmm. Good orphan pays his taxes, uh, plays by her right rules, does the right thing. Mm-hmm. So we all need to learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. We all need to learn how to do that. Those are the people who are going to be very happy in, in steady jobs where they know what the structure is in the army. You know, in police force, and I love our police forces, and I'm very fond of our military personnel. But they've agreed to abide by the rules, right? Of the of the group of the of of the organization that you've come into. Which, as you were saying, the 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 group, like, oh yeah, have a job, get a check. Um, I actually started to my uh, I started to cringe. I started to actually feel a little bit of a panic attack going inside of me. My my my, my chest started to because that's not who I am. I'm not that person. I'm not that archetype. I've been in that situation and it was miserable for me. And there's many people, and those are the entrepreneurs of the world and people who start their own businesses and things, start their own groups uh, yes. because they. So continue. 
Yeah, well, you're absolutely perfect. I was going to say that perhaps a little later, that you are a person who decided that being an orphan allied with, you know, the, the orthodoxy of Hollywood and filmmaking, no, 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 you want to do it your way. Right. And you have, and here you are, because right. that led you to the next archetype. And the next archetype is what I call the pilgrim. And I do that because pilgrims um, usually still, they, they, there's the Cam uh, Camino Santiago that you can walk that goes from northern France to the edge of Spain. Mm -hmm. uh, people do it every, every year in droves. Um, the pilgrim decides to go on a journey in order to ask important questions about who he or she is. And they can only be asked when one is separate and on one's own journey. These are not answers you can think out beforehand. They have to be experienced. So the pilgrim, uh, who exists in the tarot, of course, uh, holding a lantern and walking slowly down the, the road, the pilgrim is on a, on a quest to say, what's true for me? Right. Now, in the 14th century, pilgrims did that with the sense of what's true for me in relation to God. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, we might say what's true for me and what I should do for my life, or what is true for me in terms of spiritual truth. This can be a long period of time, and it can be really annoying, uh, because pilgrims tend to ask awkward questions. They tend to ask things in, in a business. They tend to be the one who sits at the back saying, why do we do it this way? This is dumb. Why do we do it that way? And, of course, sometimes that's exactly the question that needs to be asked. And you asked it yourself. You said, why is the film business like this? Is there another model? And I bet a lot of people said, oh, come on, come on, get with the program. Right. Yeah. And because at a certain point, even in any journey in your life, you, you, you keep running into walls or you just start figuring out, like, I don't want to play by these rules. Right. You know, I, I don't want to play by these rules. There's, there was many points in my life where I could have easily gotten a staff position somewhere at a big studio, you know, doing editing or directing and things like that. But I just, I just never felt right to me. It was just something that just like, the money would have been fantastic, and I've had a couple of those staff positions early on in my career, which I was promptly fired from uh, a year later because it was just so miserable. Um, I was I wasn't evolved enough yet to realize how unhappy I was, so I would act out or I would do something to get myself uh, in trouble to get myself kicked out because I just because one half of me is like you're not going to turn this check away, but the other half of me you're like, you're dying inside. So it was like this battle inside of me to to leave that, but it is something that didn't make any. But I, then I have a good friend of mine who loves Whoa. that staff position, having that check, having that quote unquote security. Um, doesn't rock the boat, has yeah. a pension, he's set, mm -hmm. he's good. I'm just not. I'm, I I just can't be that person, and that's okay. Everyone's different. Everyone's different. I mean, you might say. That person is a good orphan, a happy orphan. Oh, yeah. Uh, but that's not who you are. Yeah. And that's what happens in, in the great in literature. Usually the character is faced with a problem, and what's the truth here? What, what's going on? And that's what sets the character apart. It's an, you know, it's an invitation. We can all say, no, I want to toe the line, or we can say, 
I want to go deeper. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Mm-hmm. So that's the pilgrim. Um, pilgrims personified perhaps in, in, uh, in teenagers who uh, know what they don't want, but they're not quite sure what they do want. Yes, they go backpacking across Europe. Yeah. They in ho- and, they hang, and they hang out in hostels because they can. <laughs> and their backs can handle those beds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, to be young again. It is true that, yeah. that, that, that youth is wasted on the young. There's no question totally about wasted. it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so true. So from the Pilgrim, um, and these are stages. These are all stages. Like you can't, you can't skip one. And no. you can stop at a certain level, but yes. because you don't, and it's again nothing wrong with that. And your journey, it. your journey in this life, could be to the point like I need to be a really good orphan in this life. I have to learn how to be a really good orphan, or I need to be, I need to go, I need to become a pilgrim in this life to challenge myself. Do you, in your, in your appearance, in your opinion, uh, going a little bit deeper into these these archetypes? Um, I always feel that I use the term the universe. You know, you, people use God, people use the universe, um, the force. If you're a Star Wars fan, um, what the that the universe is the one that presents these calls, presents yes. these challenges, presents these options to you, and that could be a breakup, that could be a job opportunity, that could be hey, you you really want to write that book start writing it. Oh, you got to quit your steady job to open up this new business because that's really your dream because you want to make cookies. So, uh, you know, and you're going to, and then you open up a cookie company and you're like, oh God. And then all those challenges of doing that as opposed to the steady paycheck. Do you, do you find that that, even throughout literature, because this journey, someone's, I always, I always like to say, like, look guys, I, I think that there's something, I don't know what it is, but there's something that's pushing us Yes. And, and and guiding us in the way that we need to be in this life, in this I believe in in in, in multiple you know path lives karma the whole thing. So in this life, the the lessons you have to learn, someone's guiding you. There's a choice. You always have a choice. But I always found that when you choose wrong, <laughs> <laughs> things don't go well. Things are harder. <laughs> things are so much harder. Sometimes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sometimes the universe is like, okay, apparently they didn't get the first seven messages. <laughs> so unfortunately, the, this person's going to have to get into a minor car accident <laughs> to shock them, or uh, they're going to have to break up to mm-hmm. shock them into where they need to be, or they're going to lose all their money because that's what's going to knock them out. And I've always found, at least in my life experience, the worst things that have happened to me that I've been at my lowest are the greatest teaching tools and I wouldn't, and I wouldn't turn them away ever. Mm-hmm. If I had a chance to go back and go, Oh, I really wish I wouldn't have to go through that. Knowing what I know now, they made me who I am. So right. even the worst things, even when you're in the middle of the fire and getting burned, you realize later in life, you're like, I needed that. I needed to be fired. Yes. I needed to break up with that person. I needed yes. to lose all my money. So I felt what that was like. So moving further down this journey, I don't make those mistakes. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Perfectly said. 
And, you know, I've been in that situation too, you know, the safe job and I couldn't take it. <laughs> the, or the, the, what seemed like a cataclysmic personal situation. Yeah. And it shook me up so that I was forced to rethink everything, you know, everything from my, my first marriage to what I thought I could do and who I thought I was supposed to placate in my life. I realized, wait, 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 I'm not really supposed to be doing any of that stuff, making nice. I'm supposed to be going my own way. So, yes, I know this personally. In the literature, it's exactly that through all this 3,000 years of literature. With my clients, it's the same thing. Do you think that COVID mm -hmm. has been that event for the world? Because everyone has these little issues every once in a while, you know, like, oh, you know, like you lose your money, you get into a car accident, you break up with something, something happens to you to make you rethink life. But I've been hearing again and again that during that year of, of lockdown or that, you know, during COVID, which we're still in, we're, I think, hopefully on the other side of it a little bit more than we were. But there was that last 2020 was a year of just absolute reevaluation about everything. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that COVID is that wake-up call for, on a mass scale? This has nothing really been like that in our lifetime that I could, like World War II was something like that at one point, uh, but something that affected the entire planet, the entire planet shut down yeah, yeah. for a month or two. It was insane. Extraordinary, yes. We've never seen anything like it. Yeah. Yes, I do think, I do think so. Um, this is not to say that I believe there is a, a malevolent deity who sends plagues or whatever. No. Um, but it, when, when a big shock like that happens to a whole civilization, basically, mm -hmm. it's a chance to rethink who we are and what we think we're doing and how we think we're doing it. Mm -hmm. The question that remains for us now is, are we just going to go orphan-like back to the way it was before? Are we? Right, or are right. we going to start making things new? I see... Quite a lot of signs of our, some of our leaders saying, no, we're going to have to do things differently. Mm -hmm. I also see quite a lot of signs of politicians saying, no, nope, we're just going to go back to the same old, same old. Right. Trying to. But now the, the force right. against the same old, same old is so much greater that so it's, much. it's so tough now. And the perfect example is just people working at home and yes. they just evaluate like, wait a minute, I have time with my family. I need mm -hmm. to I need to balance my life and my job better. I want to be able to have more control of my my life experience. So I think it's almost like shedding a bunch of what was, I mean, to a certain, for a certain part of the population who has the ability to work at home, but that's shedding a lot of the industrial age, uh, 80s, 90s, early 2000s way of doing business even, uh, where you have to get in a car, drive, yes. drive an hour, commute in traffic, work, drive an hour back, and then do all that. It's insan it's insanity. In in my in my business, uh agents, you know, movie movie star agents, talent agents, they would have to in LA get in a car, drive an hour for a 15 or 20 minute meeting, get back in the car, drive back to another so they would get maybe three meetings done a day. But during the pandemic they were doing 10 or 15 meetings and business kept going. So they're like, wait a minute. You know, maybe I do that once a week mm -hmm. as opposed to every day. Every day. Things, yeah. th things like that. So it's really, it's really an interesting thing. But I just was curious about that because it is, 
there's never been anything like it on a on a spiritual sense, on a on a societal sense that just has shut down the world yeah. and really yeah. made everyone reevaluate. Even if you can't work at home, like, do I really want to go back to that job? Look how many. I was just looking at the news yesterday. Seven hundred twenty-two thousand people walked off uh, their jobs in the food industry because yes. they they just they're just like I can't do this anymore. I don't want to yes. do this anymore. That's that's a, that's a pretty large oh. number. That's incredible. Yes, you know, and and we are short. There is a shortage of <laughs> of people that's now. A huge shortage. <laughs> oh God, it's insane. But it's just it's just really interesting how the whole world has been the the the, the journey the story of humanity has been shifted a little bit during this whole process. Um, but we went off on a tangent. Who is the next, who's after it is. So who's the, who's after the pilgrim? Well, um, in terms of the pilgrim, the pilgrim is looking for answers. And when, oops, ah, there we go. Screen just divided. Mm -hmm. Um, and when answers begin to appear, then the pilgrim is no longer searching. So the pilgrim says, this is the way I want my life to go. This is the person I want to spend my life with. This is the country I want to live in. This is the regime that I can accept and live under and work with. And at that point, you're really putting your money on the table. Until now, it's been sort of discussion. But then it's money on the table. And I call that, um, that archetype, I call that the warrior lover. Because mm -hmm. this is the person who fights peacefully for what is worth loving. And that's really, really important. Now, you say to yourself, well, what, is, what does that mean? Well, you know, a single mom raising two kids, she's putting everything on the line to give those kids the best she can manage. She is a fighter. She loves her kids. She's a warrior lover. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Somebody who is an environmentalist who says, I'm going to put all of my efforts and all of my personal feeling, all of my love into uh, making the planet greener and safer. Or, you, know, you name it. That is a warrior lover. Very powerful place to be. If we look back into the literature, uh, that's actually what happens with um, in, in Homer. That's what happens with Odysseus. He spends a lot of time bouncing around the Mediterranean, but at a certain point, when you know he thinks he, he's a he's a hero, but actually he's lost. He's an orphan. At a certain point, he uh, he looks at Circe, who has enchanted him, and says, "I don't want this. I know what I want. I want to go home and do a good job there." And that's when he stops being a quote hero, and he wasn't a hero. He was a butcher. Mm -hmm. Odysseus was a butcher. I mean, you know, and that's when he starts saying, "Okay, now I have to get home. How do I do it? How do I do it?" So, so love to. No, no. So, so the warrior, so the the warrior lover, lover, yeah. is the one that once the once the searching is over. Yeah. Uh, and you always continue to search in some way, but well, the the big search is over, where you're like, "I know what I want now in life." I know what I want. Uh, uh, and, I, and, and that could be to be an orphan uh, in, in, a, in, yeah. in an office setting somewhere, or it could be uh, I'm going to fight for my kids, or I'm going to fight for my family, or I'm going to fight for that new business, or fight to uh, my, art, my, my artistic endeavors, or 
that's when you start throwing that that fight and that love into what answers finally came to you at that stage in your life. Absolutely. And you couldn't reach that stage if you hadn't learned about love and trust as an innocent, if you hadn't learned about what people are like and how to be how to be a human amongst other humans as the orphan. And if you didn't do the awkward questioning where you say, you know, I think we can do things better, which is what the pandemic has certainly moved us towards. So we have to learn all these lessons so we can use them to mobilize our full courage as warrior lovers. Now, that's all very well, uh, but you know and I know that crusaders, warrior lovers, tend to burn out. Mm. They yes, run they out do. of sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, they say, I'm, I'm, I'm done. done. And that's part of the lesson too, because when we're done like that, many people say, I have had it with this job, this industry, this marriage, this country. I'm going to go and, 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 and be a waiter. I'm going to be a barista at Starbucks. I'm going to do something where I can just walk away from it at the end of the day. And that, I think, is going back to orphan level, going back to an organization. But really what needs to happen is the, the individual probably is better served by saying, okay, I can't work any harder. Can I work smarter? Can I use what I've got to help others forward? Ah, now that's a big question. And that actually is why often in an organization, if you've got a a good organization, they'll notice who the good pilgrims are. And when they they become uh, warrior lovers, they'll nurture them knowing that pretty pretty soon they're going to age out. Five years, ten years, they're probably going to age out. For teachers, it's five years. Um, And then don't keep them in the job, but promote them so they can use their expertise to teach the teachers, to educate those who are alongside them, or perhaps at a slightly less high level. And that is when we get stage five, and that I call the king and queen. And the king and queen um, tends to mean different things to different people. And I don't mean, you know, the... uh, the, uh, the, li- the literal royal family. <laughs> yeah, the literal royal family or the prom king and prom queen who mm. are, who are um, kind of uh, parodies of the whole thing. It means each individual can access two parts of the self. And the parts of the self would be the, the stereotypically male part of the self, executive, bold, and potentially bold. The king, executive, must get things done, even if it means that someone has to be imprisoned or executed. And stereotypically, the other half of us, each individual, is the queen who is, as I say, stereotypically merciful, nurturing, more loving. And we have to integrate both sides of ourself. How does that, what does that look like in reality? If you have children, you have to you have to be nurturing and loving, and you also have to say no. You cannot have another cookie, and no, get down off the you know, the, the back of the sofa. Get the, get get a, get the off. get the knife away from the cat. Yeah, uh, get the knife away from the cat. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to be you know, stern when it's necessary. We have to be the parent. 
and we also have to be loving about it. And if you have a boss who is like that, you are indeed blessed because a boss like that will know when to step back and when to step forward. A boss like that will know when to say, well done. And another time we'll know when to say, you, you last up, didn't you? Okay. Mm -hmm. Kings and queens have to learn who to trust as well in an organization. Can you trust this person? You can be nice to them. Can you trust them? Or are they going to stab you in the back? And if so, what are you going to do about it? So that is the fifth stage. If you're very fortunate, if one is very fortunate, one gets such a person as a boss or perhaps as a parent. Uh, if one's unfortunate, one gets a boss who is all king and another boss who is all queen, and you you don't know who you can't you can't make them happy. Mm -hmm. You can't make yourself happy. Now, in in literature, this is uh, usually the point where the hero has to uh, give give up hoping that the authorities will understand and take authority into his or her own hands and say, right, this is the way it's going to be. Again, in mystery and detective fiction, that happens all the time. The detective realizes that the higher-ups won't support him or her and says, all right, I'm in charge, and carries on, and you hope solves the crime. So that's the fifth stage. Again, always building on the lessons before. The sixth stage is the most difficult to pin down because I call that the magician. And uh, most people think of magician in terms of, you know, you wave a wand and, uh, you know, jewelry appears or a new car. No, no, that's, that's not what this is about. A real magician in the definition of the literature is someone who can change people's minds, who can change the energy just by force of their example. So you might say, we all have bits of that. Uh, I know as an older person, I can change kids' minds just by being me. You, you've chosen uh, to change people's minds about what movies and what media can do. And you're changing the minds. You're not going up to people and grabbing them by the lapels and saying, change your mind! Right. You're doing your life, and people are going, oh, oh, this, oh, there's something happening here. Maybe mm -hmm. I should pay attention. So that's the magician. The magician can be like the team coach. Uh, the team coach doesn't play the game, sends the, the team out into the field, but the team coach will know how to manage a bunch of people so they do better than they themselves thought they were capable of. Wow. And that's on a on a in the team coach is one level, and then there's Buddha, Jesus, yes, um, you know, yeah, Yogananda, um, you know, you know, Eastern Eastern yogis or um, Western philosophers. I mean, all of them, philosophers, you know, these kind of people who Joseph Campbell, Joseph Campbell, Joseph who was Campbell. who was an academic and and basi basically a philosopher in many ways. Um, he changed millions of lives around the world with his work. And then other students of his took his work and then went on to change billions of people. I'm speaking of George Lucas and Star Wars, um, <laughs> which was, 
you know, we but that was without without Joseph Campbell, we don't have Star Wars. Without and, Joseph Campbell, we don't have Star Wars. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And I love that. I think it was once I, I saw an interview once with George Lucas, who he said stories are the way we pass on the meat and potatoes of society. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Isn't that isn't that great? And it is like that's what I was trying to do with Star Wars. It's like if you watch the original Star Wars, the meat and potatoes of what it's like to be a, an innocent. Luke is an innocent, Absolutely. without without question, is an innocent. <laughs> And by the end of the original trilogy, he's a magician, yes. or beginning to become a magician. He's not, yeah. he's not Yoda at, at the end of Return of the Jedi, but he is definitely not who he was on the farm. Oh, he has grown. He, he has grown. So his quest is, but that is an analogy for our lives, and, and that's why I think movies are so powerful and books are so powerful. Yeah. I mean, you, you go. I mean, and I know a lot of a lot of. Um, it's it's so funny because I I have. I have um, students sometimes, they're like, oh, you know, that's an old book or that's an old movie. I'm like, go, I think I saw this movie once called Finding Forrester with Sean Connery, mm-hmm. where he was a author, like a recluse author, but he'd like written the great American novel. He was like, it was like an Ernest Hemingway style, but he only wrote one book and it was just, that book was like, you know, amazing. And th- this young guy was saying, hey, I, but it's an old book, who would... Who would still be reading that? It was like 50 or 60 years old or something like that. And he's like, go try to rent it. Don't, don't try to borrow it in the library and let me know how that goes. And he went to the library and all the and everything was checked out. And that's and it was such a beautiful lesson because I mean, you look at Charles Dickens, a Christmas carol. Mm-hmm. Just look at a Christmas carol. The volumes of things that are lessons and store lessons in that story about life, about your own journey, is right. it's so deep. And it's still it's still a story that that plays even today. I mean it keeps being told again. Keep told over and over again. Again yeah. and again, millions of times it gets it's it's been told. God how many times it's been told in the in the course of throughout literature or in movies or in television shows or something like that. That's how powerful those stories are. And that it is so anyone listening, don't don't knock older stories. <laughs> don't don't knock older movies. Don't knock older shows or anywhere you can get stories. I mean, the story of Siddhartha with Buddha. Oh yes, yeah, very important. That's I'm, a real six archetype story. Absolutely. I mean, geez, I mean that is a, that is a, a remarkable story that's been around for a couple of years. Uh, <laughs> so finding finding me, I think I think. The conversation that we've been talking about here is to find the meaning of why we're here. Yes. It, that's the point of all of this. And that's why when a story hits you, either a movie or a book or a, someone sitting at a campfire telling you something, when they hit you, it's because you identify with something so powerfully. Yeah. I I always love talking about um, the movie uh, Shawshank Redemption. Yes. My favorite, one of my favorite films, if not my favorite film of all time. And I always wondered, and I've asked the best screenwriters in Hollywood this question. I'm like, what's what is it? What's about? What is it? What is a? What is it about? Shawshank Redemption, the worst title in the history of movies. 
what is it that is so beloved? Like, I mean, if you don't like Shawshank Redemption, you're dead inside. I'm sorry if anyone's listening out there. If you don't, there's something, there's something so magical. And it's like, on the surface, it means it's about a, a prison in the 50s yeah. that has no connection to anything in the world that we, at surface level, that we have to deal with today. But for whatever reason, that story talks to millions yeah. of people, and it and it grew slowly. Millions of people. I always thought it was like, well, Andy Dufresne literally is is us because mm -hmm. something bad happened to him that wasn't his fault, and then he spends his twenty years, which is essentially a lifetime of being tortured for something he didn't do. So that I feel like many of us feel that way when the universe is hitting us with things that happen to us and then literally has to go through a mile of shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> in that you know so yeah. spoiler alert guys when he breaks out um and he has to go through a mile of, of sh literal shit and then gets reborn yes. at the end of it Beautiful, and then and he yes. and he's literally being cleansed by the water the rainstorm outside he's the, the, literally the crap is being cleaned off of him and then he's off in a magical paradise at the end. Mm -hmm. If that's not an analogy for what we'd <laughs> like life to be, I don't know what is. I think that's one of the reasons why it connects with so many people around the world. Do you, I mean, is that a fair uh, statement? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. It's a, it's a redemption, of course, it's a rebirth. And as you say, he has to go into the underworld, into the deep, nasty, shitty place before he can emerge and be cleansed. I mean, it's a real six archetype story. Yeah, and it doesn't, again, doesn't have any transforming robots, doesn't have any dinosaurs in it. It, it, it is such a simple, well-told story, but it, it, gives, it gives people hope when they watch a movie like that or read a story like that. So, you know, again, going back to the, the spiritual side of this, I mean, we are, you know, when we're born into this world, we're just trying to figure it out. This is very this is confusing as hell. <laughs> I mean, living, existing in this in this world in this life, it's not easy. Uh, it's not easy, and we're blessed. You and I are blessed. We we have a lot of opportunities that many people in this world don't. Um, and but yet, at, no matter where you are in life, as far as what you know, what where you were born into, or you know, what country you were, what group you were born into, whether that be family, country, village, society, that says a lot. Because if you're, if you're born a black man in the South in the 40s, this is rough. It's this not good. Rough. Or you could be born a, you know, a white man in the North <laughs> in the 40s. Big, two different souls, two different, two different experiences. Yeah. Uh, and I feel that we're always grasping onto anything. Like you were saying, like, you're looking around the room, who can I align myself with? I feel yeah. that we try to align ourselves with story yes. in, in many ways to give us almost guideposts along the way. That's why Rocky is so mm -hmm. beloved. You know, I can watch Rocky a million times and not many films from the 70s hold until now. Like, and there's very few movies that came out in the 60s or 70s that a contemporary person can watch and just go, yeah, I, I completely get that. And even Rocky with his age, you watch the first Rocky and you go, oh, 
because it's the underdog and we all feel like the underdog. underdog story yes so you hold on to those stories you know i just love to hear your your thoughts on the spiritual aspect of story in our in our journey and what our journey says about our spiritual lives in general yeah uh well when the six archetypes first emerged uh, sometime before about 500 BC, it was, or they were, they weren't spelled out as I've spelled them out. They were understood intrinsically, uh, holistically, you might say, that there were certain things that one had to go through in order to become a fully fledged human being, which is what Odysseus achieves, uh, you hope, uh, at the end. Certainly he takes, he takes back his kingdom. And so this was a sense of the of the deep religious truths about being here on earth. Because of that, uh, we have to be careful not to oversimplify. So what I would perhaps suggest here is that we have these six archetypes that we can go through, and I wrote about them because so many people didn't seem to know they existed. And so it wasn't as though they were choosing to be orphans, they just couldn't think of anything else to be. Um, but we exist in at least three domains. We exist in our social domain. Who are we going to be in our social group, our com community? Are we going to be orphans? Are we going to be, who are we going to be? And we have to ask ourselves that. But we also have our intimate family loving relationship domain. Are we going to be orphans in that? Are we going to are we going to just follow the rules, uh, raise our kids according to what the book says, or are we going to do something else? And then, of course, um, there is the professional realm, and this is where we get unbalanced. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now, back to the show. Because I know quite a few people who are absolute magicians in their, their professional realm. They're lawyers, a couple of them, and they're brilliant in the law court, and they can eviscerate a witness without any trouble at all. Absolute magicians. Persuade a jury, no trouble at all. And they go home, and they can't talk to their teenager. Right. Right. I say to myself, in these... There are at least three domains. Our, our duty is to try and balance these three domains and live the best version of ourselves in all three. <laughs> because that, that really is the challenge before us. Can we do that? Whoa, that's, that's a big one. And, and until we know this, until we see this, until we can actually spell it out as six stages, we don't know what we're doing wrong. The lawyer comes home and says, I don't understand my kid. Mm -hmm. Send him for therapy. And suddenly we're already, we're already on a losing wicket here because what's wrong is not something wrong with the kid. There's something wrong with the ability to relate, especially if the kid is a pilgrim and saying, why do you do this? Why do I do so this is kind of a long way around the question, but I think there is a deeply spiritual uh, component, and I don't differentiate spiritual in some ways from uh, what is good for society, because mm -hmm. I think finding our spiritual core is good for society, is good for all those around us, 
and is good for the planet. So they're not, they're not separable. So is it when when you're in the in the pilgrim stage and you're looking to to what group, what thing you're going to hold on to, whether that be a religion, whether that be a company, whether that be a country, uh, whatever that larger organization is, so many people, uh, when they find it, let's you know, let's say a uh, a religion for say for sake, and I don't want to get too deep into that because I know that's a touchy subject for a lot of people, but um, but as as we are all aware, very well aware. But if you're with one religion and you're born into that religion, well, you're born into it. You know, you weren't, you know, you weren't born Jewish or Christian or Muslim. Uh, mm -hmm. You were taught that. That's just yeah. those are the stories that were told to you, and you're passing those stories and beliefs on to your children. Um, I think so much of the problems that we have in the world today is because they there's only they're taught these religions or these stories, and like these are the only stories. These are the only stories. These, yes. This is the only way. If you don't follow this, everybody else is, is going to, everybody else could go to hell, literally. Uh, if, but we, we have to follow this. And if there's someone else has a different opinion or a different belief, that's where wars start. I mean, literally, the crusades. I mean, I mean the religion and all these kind of things. Um, so stories have the ability to bring people together, but it definitely has the ability to hurt and, and bring people apart. It just on that aspect of, of story. Um, and I think depends, also, I'm sorry? It depends on whose story you believe, doesn't it? It was, it was like, uh, I think it was um, Paramahansa Yogananda, the, the, the great yogi, said that Jesus was crucified once, but his teachings were crucified for the next 2,000 years. <laughs> yes, yes, really. I it's it's a brilliant comp, but it's a, it, I mean because at a certain point you just like anyway, um, but do you feel that people when they hold on to their beliefs and I'm listen I'm I'm the perfect example of this too like you you hold on to a belief of whatever that belief is whatever that group is whatever that thing is that it has to be this way or it can't be even if you are presented with facts mm -hmm. that oppose your beliefs. Mm -hmm. you completely ignore them because I guess the ego can't reconcile that you've been wrong for 15 years because <laughs> it's, and you have to now walk another path. It, it's almost, it's like a death inside yeah. of you. And that's why people fight tooth and nail for things that they believe in, which there is obviously their scientific proof or other sorts of proof that that doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. um, and they yet still ignore that. What's your feeling on that? I'm just curious. I absolutely agree with that. Um, the trouble is, of course, that people attach to the, the story that they are fed, that they are asked to believe. And uh, if they don't know anything else, then they will never question it. If they are punished for questioning it, of course they will never question it, or at least they right. won't question it much. And yet, what I see around me are major religions, you know, there's Judaism, there's Christianity, there's Islam, uh, and within those religions there are all kinds of sects and breakaway where people are, for better or worse, and sometimes it's for worse, they're asking questions such as, really, does, do, does, do, we, do we have to do that? That makes no sense. Do we have to live this way? That makes no sense. So it seems to me that any system of living that is worth 
holding on to is going to be open to questions and available to entertain those questions and perhaps entertain doubts. I've always thought doubts were a very good thing. I'm sure in, in many religious settings and in, particularly in cults, uh, doubts are what will get you thrown out on your ear. Mm-hmm. But that, that is, you know, cult, cults are, of course, things that tend to demand total devotion and self-abnegation mm-hmm. in the name of the Godhead. Uh, well, that's fine. Um, that's fine if, if that is what floats somebody's boat, but not to ask questions? That's, that's where the pilgrim comes in. Right, and, and, and I think to ask questions in life is part of living. If you can't ask questions about things that you don't know or have questions about, then how can you evolve? Precisely. I mean, there's no, no progress. There's no progress without questions. And I think that on a spiritual standpoint, on a physical standpoint, on a group, you know, friends, fan, I, like the question of like, you know, I don't want to be with this person anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is not working for me. That's a question. Why am I with her? Why am I with him? You know, you know, I, yes, I was born into this family, but they don't, they, they, they're definitely completely off the, off the reservation of what I believe and what I want to do with my life and they don't support me. So do I need, these are all questions that have to be answered. Yes. And and it's, it's wonderful because, uh, when I look at that, what I think of is this, and that is look at the huge amount of effort that has gone into Stopping people asking questions, you know, Bur- burning of books, burning of books, turning off the internet. Right. It reassures <laughs> me that human beings are naturally creatures who ask a lot of questions. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a, a need to suppress it, which is what you see in totalitarian regimes, in some religions, in all kinds of places uh, where there is silence, where people should be speaking out, whether it's about you know, sexual abuse of Olympic athletes, silence when people should have been speaking out. Correct. Or, 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 or North Korea, where you, you say what you're told to say, and that's what you say, and that's what you have to believe, or you are not going to have a happy existence. So I think human beings are inherently incredibly questioning and incredibly um, annoyingly questioning. You know, you know, you can see this in little kids who will ask, why? Why do I have to do that? Why? Why? I don't want to do that. And you think, okay, we want to nurture the questioner, but also make sure we have a certain level of uh, safety and, and decency and all the rest of right. it. And, and also in business, it's the, it's, the, it's the pilgrim who keeps asking, why can't I have a, yes. a computer in my in my in my uh, my phone, a phone that's also a computer in my pocket, or why can't I have a laptop, or why can't I have a car? You know, yes. why can't we have a motorized buggy? You know, things like that. These are these are pilgrims who ask. So that it's in every aspect of life. It's in yes. every aspect of life, and I think it's good to ask questions and to challenge any belief that you have, uh, whether it's spiritual, whether it's uh, business, whether it's love, family. It, if it if it's strong enough to survive the question, then it and then it's strong enough to continue being your thing. And again, certain things connect with certain people. You know, some people listen. They, they listen or they they listen to the teachings of Buddha or Confucius and go, "This is the way for me. This is this is the way for me." And others do Islam or or Judaism or Catholicism or some just 
our spiritual and our searchers through all of them and take a little bit from every philosophy and religion and text and and there's so much out there so um it's it, it all depends on what works for you um at, yes. on your journey we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show it's also um you know what works for you and what you can afford to have work for you Mm. Because, um, for instance, we all know that the climate is in a bit of chaos. Yeah. We know that the world is warming. We know we should do something about this and not chop down all those wonderful redwoods that I was privileged to see a few years back, probably most of which have gone. We should not be doing that. And yet we're, we're enthralled to our luxuries, our lifestyle, our way of being the fact that the economy has to go a certain way. So for some people, it's a question of what they can, you know, how, how much truth can they afford? Um, hmm. This was, this was not That's the a- case 3000 years ago, but it's becoming more and more urgently the case for us now, which is why I think the six archetypes are a very important thing to consider because otherwise we'll just say, well, it's the way it is, you know, chop down those trees. Yeah. You you also in your book uh, used a statement called soul starvation. What is that? What is the definition of soul starvation? Well, soul starvation is when one is usually stuck at a level, usually orphan. That's where we get stuck most most often. That's where we retreat to. And when we're there, um, we're not getting any anything that nourishes us. I like to say. Uh, there's plenty of good nourishing soul food out there. Mm-hmm. I don't know where to look for it. And soul starvation can be cured by reading, reading these stories, looking at the philosophers, as you've just enumerated, and beginning to think again, what is it that my soul needs in order to thrive? Not just survive, but to thrive. And what it needs is a sense of I am moving forward and learning something and mobilizing all of what I am in order to serve the world better. Uh, we can all turn on yet another uh, uh, piece of junk TV. We can all <laughs> read just another pulp fiction. Well, the pulp fiction is a good story, but we can pulp novel. We can we can go and watch stuff that is the same old, same old. At some level, though, we know that these are empty calories, that we're not getting anything from them. Right, right, exactly. Now, I'm going to ask you a couple questions I I like to ask my guests. Um, What is your mission in this life? Oh, well, I think I'm doing part of it right now, actually, thanks to you. My mission is to take these stories, which have these six archetypes in them, and bring them to people, and this is what I did as a, as a college teacher, uh, bring them to people so that they can begin to examine their own lives and become unstuck. I do this um, in some of my classes uh, with the writing of memoir. I also counsel people, and uh, within counseling, the six archetypes has been very helpful to people who say, where am I, what am I doing, where am I going? I say, well, let's think about this. Here's a possible template. 
It might not be the be-all and the end-all, but it might be worth thinking about. So my, my role, if I can dignify what I do with that word, is to try and bring this gently to people's attention and say, you know, there's a wealth of knowledge out there if we choose it. And if we don't choose it, we'll suffer from soul starvation. I think that's one of the, the causes of the pains that we have in this world is soul starvation, I think. I'm absolutely convinced of it. Otherwise, yeah. we could not believe the rubbish that we tend to glom onto, like, I must have a bigger car, a fancier house, or, you know, I must, I must. <sighs> I, you know, I, I, I got to tell you, you know, I'm so not that person. I was when I was younger. Um, because you wanted a fancy car, you wanted the big house and stuff like that. And as you get older and you start achieving certain goals in life, you know, either financially or, or things like that, you start to realize it's like, it, it's just stuff. It's it, just... It, it doesn't mean anything, you know, it, it, it truly doesn't. The only thing that means something is family, your kids, your wife, your parents, um, helping other people. Uh, that is that is the purpose in my in, in my opinion why we're here. I was going to ask you the next question was why are we why are we here? But in my opinion, that's uh, we've kind of fallen into that answer. But I feel that's what it is for me. And I love that I love someone said this quote. It's like you've never see a U-Haul attached to a hearse, right. and it's so brilliantly. This is such a brilliant statement. It's just like, but it's so true. Like, I mean, you could be the richest human being on the planet and at the end it means what did you do with it yes. how did you help that's why the rockefellers and um the carnegies and all of the, they, they gave away so much uh and and, and at the end mm -hmm. at the end of you know and it, not even at the end it was it, it was one of those one of those the, the three or four big um industrialist who were quote you know billionaires of, of their time, and they were just started giving. I think it was Carnegie. Carnegie just started giving. Yeah, good one. Yeah. Carnegie just started giving and giving and giving. He's like, oh, why? Am because and you can't see that until you get it all, and that everybody has that opportunity. And Jim Carrey, the famous actor, comedian, said something so profound. He's like, I wish everybody could get have all their dreams come true. So they could realize that it doesn't mean anything in that in, in that way because he did he literally richest person mm -hmm. he was he, more money than he could ever spend yeah one of the most famous people on the planet mm -hmm. biggest movie stars in the world and he was unhappy right and he's like oh this doesn't really make me happy if I had a ten million dollar check tomorrow mm -hmm. would it change my life a bit I'm sure and I'm like the first thing I'd be like what can I do. <laughs> What can I do with it? Yes. I wouldn't. I I could have. I, I wouldn't buy an eight thousand square foot home because, first of all, who's going to clean it? Secondly, <laughs> <laughs> no. But seriously, like I, I wouldn't because I'm like, what do I need? Forty rooms. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't need that many rooms. I just you know, uh, it's really it's a really interesting uh, idea. But what and what's your definition? I just told you my definition. What is your definition of why we're here? Well, it's a very, very much a congruent definition. Yes, we're here to do something. Uh, we are here to do whatever it is that we feel we are called to that is an absolutely good match with our abilities and to live our fullest self 
from that place to help the planet, to help others, to advance awareness. That's what we're here for. When they bury me, my, my hole in the ground will be the same size as everybody else's. No matter if you were the richest person in the world or the poorest. Richest person or the poorest person. When I had to clear out my late parents' home, uh, I was keenly aware of the ornaments and the things that they had that they loved. Sure. They loved them. Yeah. Uh, um, and the ornaments were there, and they were in the memorial park. Um, and they, you know, other, I mean, if you find enjoyment out of certain things, sure. But at sure. the end of the day. It's stuff. It's, it's just stuff, stuff that, does, that does nothing, you know. And, and I think as, as you get older, you start. It's only, it, and this unfortunately is not something that you learn when you're young. It, it takes time. It, ta- it takes time to learn these lessons. Uh, and some, some people don't learn these lessons. <laughs> some people learn it at the very end. But look, at the end of the day, we, we come in alone yeah. and we go out alone. We go out alone. It, 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 it's, just, it's just the way it is. And I think it, if, if we can grasp that idea a little bit more and, um, you know, let me go on a tangent really quickly before we finish. The scientifically, They've done research on the power of giving versus the power of receiving. And I think that the the experiment was they gave $100 to 20 people. Mm -hmm. And they said, you can keep the money or you can give it away Mm -hmm. to to someone who needs it. And they let them loose in a park. Mm -hmm. And the people who who, who gave the money away felt so much better than the people that kept it. Because we, as a species, have an endorphin that gets mm-hmm. released when we give. That's why I feel so good when we give. Because mm-hmm. if we don't learn as a species to give, we don't survive. Right. right. If, I don't, if I don't give you a piece of my food, you're going to die. And mm-hmm. if you die, the group gets smaller. And if the group gets smaller, the lions are going to get us. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. <laughs> I mean, if you want to go primal, you know, it's like, so we have to share, we have to give. We, that's what we're wired to do. And we feel yeah. so good when we do it. And I think between media and society, especially in the West, that they, that they focus so much on materialism yeah. is that you forget the power of giving. Yes. And the power yes. of, of being of service to people. And the joy and the love that can come with it. Mm-hmm. If, if when, I, when I'm dragged out in my little wooden box, I'd like to know that I've helped to nurture some joy and some love and that I've given, received, well, you know, <laughs> just being around people, you receive a lot of joy and love. I don't, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I, I, I've written a few books as well and when I'm at a, a, a signing or something, mm-hmm. people will walk up to me like, you've changed my life with this book. Uh, yeah, like, oh my God, like uh, you've saved me 10 years off of my career and hundreds of thousands of dollars because I just read this chapter and changed the way I thought about mm-hmm. this or that. And I can't tell you the feeling that is when mm-hmm. someone says that to, to, yeah. or, or, call, or calls me or I meet somebody at a, event or something like I've been listening to you for years. Oh. You've you've no idea the impact you've had on my life. I had a really rough year and 
listening to you kept me, gave me hope. It came, and I just like you forget as creators, like you, yourself and I, whether you write or you do a show or something like that, that it just goes out into the ether. And yes. you really, it's not, it's not like a rock band that you see everybody enjoying your work. <laughs> you have that opportunity to listen to 60,000 people yell your name and scream like, oh my God, we don't get that. So these little moments that we do get are so uh, amazing um, to have. And uh, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty remarkable. And I had the pleasure of speaking to a rock star on the show uh, mm -hmm. a little while ago. And I said to him, um, it was Bruce Dickinson from, he was the lead singer of Iron Maiden. And he was mm -hmm. one of my first guests here in Next Level Soul. And I asked him, what is it like being in Wembley Stadium yeah. with 70,000 people cheering your name like how do you come off that yeah. the energy the the, the the you know all of that and I, and and are you channeling something when you're when you're playing music he's like i'm absolutely channeling something i don't know what it is but it comes through me and i go do you when you get off the stage what what happens he's like oh i i'm on probably for another eight or ten hours mm. and he has a routine on how to come off that high wow because it's 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 something that most human beings will never experience. Yeah, yeah. It's so powerful. The group showing that energy, that love. Yeah. I can only imagine um, the power that has. So, uh, but he gives in his way. He gives with music, and we all have our we all have our path. It's just finding it. Mm -hmm. And when you find it, it took yeah. me a long time to find my path. I was very angry and bitter for quite some time. <laughs> <laughs> Took me a long time to find it, but when I finally found it, I was like, oh, I'm supposed oh. to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the Dalai Lama says. <laughs> That's, uh, absolutely. Alan, I, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and thank you for putting the book out. And where can people find out more about you and your work? Okay. Um, well, uh, alanhunter.net is my website, and that's a double -L, l a n hunter, all one word, dot net. There are several Alan Hunters, and one of them is not me. He's an Australian footballer. Uh, you don't probably want to go to see his site, although it's very exciting. Uh, so that's where people can find me most, most easily. There's a contact form, uh, so you can contact me that way. Details of all my books, 12 to date. Um, yeah, so uh, that's where I'm most easily found. And Alex, I have to say thank you so much. If I feel this is wonderful because I feel we, we we know exactly what this is all about, and you I appreciate you just that. get it. So that's a uh, just a marvelous feeling. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much. And I also have a footballer named Alex Ferrari, so uh, he comes up on the search as well. <laughs> I feel also a Brazilian rapper uh, with my name is is as well. So um, <laughs> I fought very hard for that Google search. Uh, <laughs> Alan, a pleasure, my friend. Thank you again so much. A great pleasure, Alex. Thank you so much. I found that story could be extremely valuable in helping you make it through life, whether that be watching a good movie that touches you in a, in a specific stage that you're in or a good story, a good book. All these stories can help you on your path. Now, if you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, including how to get Alan Hunter's new book, stories we need to know head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash zero one nine 
And if you haven't already, please subscribe and leave a good review for the show wherever you're listening to it. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, trust the journey. It is there to teach you. Talk to you soon.